Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What happened? Why is there a delay in releasing hostages? And what does this mean for the deal we heard about just yesterday? Tonight, I'm Laura Costa. We should be celebrating the release of some of the hostages just a few hours from now. Instead, we're trying to figure out why the deal that had been struck just yesterday will not go into effect before Friday. That means there's no pause in fighting, there's no release of the hostages, and the question is why? Is it a matter of logistics? Is it a diplomatic issue? Now, if these are our questions that we're asking to each other tonight, imagine what questions the families have. They're now going to have to wait at least one more excruciating day. Israel's National Security Council says that no hostages will be released before Friday. Now, notice the language I just said, before Friday. Does that mean it could be even later than that? But why did this delay happen so suddenly? And when we were right on the verge of what was thought to be the release of the first of 50 women and children tomorrow? One Israeli official telling CNN it was just a matter of, quote, fairly minor implementation details. But another said that part of the reason was that Israel had not received the names of the first hostages to be released. That's hardly a minor implementation detail, right? Nothing could be more important to the people waiting to hear the names of their loved ones that they might be on that list. Not just listed among those who are taken in the news stories covering ever since October 7th, but among those to be released. And you finally have hope you might see your loved ones and soon you even might have a date in mind. Then you're told, not yet, wait a little longer. We're just so desperate for them to come home and just come back to us and come go back to Israel where they belong. Um, just want to see them hug my aunt and be with her again. So who will be released and when? Full stop. A source telling CNN the U.S. has a working list of 10 hostages that they believe are likely to be released first. Believe likely not as clear as you want it to be. It's not clear also whether any of the three American hostages, including a three-year-old child, Abigail Eden, whether she'll be released on the first day or possibly later. The White House is in wait-and-see mode. 
there are three uh, Americans that would qualify for the stipulations of this particular deal. Uh, two American women uh, and one little toddler, uh, Abigail uh, Moreden, who is going to turn four on Friday. But we're hoping uh, that those three Americans, uh, those two women and little Abigail, uh, will be in at least one of the increments of these hostages that are coming out over the next few days. But we'll have to, we'll have to watch. And watch we will. We've learned a lot more about what is expected to happen when they finally begin to release hostages. Every evening, before the next day's release, Israel and Hamas will give the Red Cross the list of names of hostages and also prisoners. Hostages will be brought by the Red Cross to Rafah, will be met by specially trained Israeli soldiers who will then verify that the hostages released are on that list. The families of those hostages will now will not be notified until the identities of those released have been confirmed by those officials. They will then be taken by helicopter to several hospitals in Israel where there will be special areas and rooms for them that are obviously close to the public and where their families will finally, finally be able to see them after over six weeks in captivity. But tonight, none of that is on the immediate schedule. Joining me now, former U.S. Ambassador Daniel Kurtzer. He served as the U.S. Ambassador to Israel and U.S. Ambassador to Egypt. Ambassador, thank you so much for being here. I, I wonder, I mean, look, 24 hours ago, we had the hope and expectation that there would be the release. Does it give you pause that there now will be a delay in that? Well, Laura, on the one hand, uh, this is a very complex set of negotiations uh, leading up to what we hope is a successful uh, hostage release and humanitarian access. Uh, it's far more complex than uh, any of the other kind of prisoner exchanges that we've seen in recent years, where you have two parties, each one handing over one or two individuals. Uh, what we hope is not the case here is, uh, is that Hamas is playing games. Uh, they have claimed that they don't have access to all the hostages. I wonder whether that's the case here. Are they playing some psychological game with the Israelis, uh, which would be horrible at this stage? So I think we just have to wait and be a little bit patient uh, and hope that uh, by Friday, we'll start to see this uh, deal go into effect. You know, obviously, it's it's difficult to be patient for these families who are waiting and wondering about that psychological warfare. And mind you, we're talking a lot about the, the hostages, but there were at least 1,400, I believe, deaths as well on October 7th. And so the trust issue, obviously, the understatement of the year is, is there. The Red Cross, though, is playing a, a pretty big role here. And I wonder what you make of that and that they will be the ones to have that first contact and then bring them to the soldiers. Well, the Red Cross has been instrumental around the world in uh, almost all of these situations. Uh, they are the only organization that normally can get access to prisoners or hostages. They enter in war zones. And so the fact that they're being brought into the implementation of this deal is quite important, not just in terms of the logistics of the handover, but also for the first time in five, six weeks now, they're going. They're supposed to be able to visit the rest of the hostages and to provide needed medical care for those who may not be getting it. 
A really important point because we don't know the condition of their remaining hostages or have they been treated at all? Are they getting the aid that they need? How are they being fed? There's a lot of questions, let alone um, their medical treatment. You actually played a really instrumental role um, between the Palestinians and um, Israel in the 1990s. And so I'd love to understand a little bit behind the scenes. We're hearing about, obviously, the release and the negotiations and the result but what's going on behind the scenes, you think, at this point in time to try to work through these delays? Well, you know, the, the problem today is that whatever trust was built up over the years since the Madrid Peace Conference in 1991 or the Oslo Accord in 1993, that trust has been broken badly. Uh, there have been failed negotiations over the years. Uh, the uh, Israeli government and the Palestinian Authority are barely talking to each other. And there are problems in the West Bank, even while there's a war in Gaza. But now you have the added element of the horrific attack inside Israel that killed about 1,400 people on October 7. So it's not just a matter of broken trust, but it's a, it's a different ballgame. And I think uh, even those Israelis who had hoped that at some point we could get back to what was called a peace process are now losing faith in that uh, possibility. And Hamas is, uh, is uh, holding out, hoping that uh, at the end of the day, uh, with Israeli loss of hope and with Palestinian loss of hope, they will emerge on top. So that's why everything that's happening now, the, the fighting, the humanitarian issues, the hostages, all of this play into a, a long-term problem for Israelis and Palestinians, and for the rest of us as we look at a region in disarray. This feels very much like an iceberg. We're seeing just the tip of the diplomacy and then everything that's underneath and the nuance. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. 46 days and counting. I mean, it has been agonizing for the families that are desperate for word of their loved ones who are being held hostage in Gaza. And among the nearly 240 hostages is 26-year-old Alan Shemris. Alon's father says that he was kidnapped from his home during the Hamas attack on October 7th. His father, Avi, joins me now. Avi, thank you so much for being with me this evening. I mean, for you in the morning there, this has been a very difficult, and I'm, I obviously know that's the understatement, but this, the hostages are likely to be women and children in this in- initial round. You have an adult son. It has got to be difficult for you to, to know that you're supposed to put on some brave face or be patient knowing that your son, an adult male, will not be included initially. What is that like for you today? Uh, good morning. Uh, actually, it's quite uh, disappointing for me because I was expecting that all the hostages will be released uh, at once and not uh, partial of them. Um, I don't I don't know why the Hamas is doing that. If they playing just games, they're supposed to release all the hostages. And what they're doing now, they are playing games with the families and the hearts of us. So I'm really, really disappointed from what's happening now. Have you gotten any information about your son since he was taken? No, not at all. Actually, I don't know what's happened to him from the day he was kidnapped from his room until now. 
We don't know if he's injured, if he's alive. Uh, the Hamas terrorist is not allowing my son to get any uh, visitors or the Red Cross. So we are in a dark here. Your son is not a soldier, we should tell everyone. This is somebody who was taken from his home. We've been showing uh, photographs of him while we've been conversing today. Can you tell me about your son? What is he like? Well, my son is a, a regular citizen. He's actually a student for computering, uh, uh, computer engin- engineering, and he was working in our factory as a logistic uh, um, manager. And from, from every day, I, he was coming to our house to eat and to sit with us. He liked to play basketball. He liked uh, soccer, like uh, Barcelona and Argentinian uh, national team. So I don't know what's happening here because... From ever we know the Palestinian in Gaza, we were helping them. We were taking their, their illness people to the hospital. We were driving them to the hospital. We were giving them money and food and shelter to the families who was taking care of their illness people. And part of them, actually, we were hiring them and giving them jobs in our village. So... I don't know why the Hamas is treating like that to, to, to us in Kefar Aza or to my son. We are not deserving this, this uh, what they did. Who would possibly deserve what you have gone through and, and, the, and trying to figure out where your son is? How do you feel about the way the government has been handling all of this? I mean, they have agreed to this deal that initially does not include um, men, how do you feel about this deal? Well, I cannot blame my government because they're doing the best to, to, to release the hostages. The problem is not with my government. The problem is with the Hamas terrorists because they are not using any logic uh, uh, thinking. They just want to harm us. They want to hurt our feelings. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, our, our government is trying to release everyone, so I cannot blame them. Well, Avi, I certainly wish for you, for your son to be home and all of the sons and daughters to be returned as well. Avi, we'll be thinking of you. Avi Shamris, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Please, if you have any connection with the Hamas, whatever, they had to act as a human being. My son is a civilian. He was not soldier. So we deserve to get all the information about him. Thank you very much. Thank you. You should not be in the dark. Thank you so much. Well, the hostage release is now delayed until at least Friday. And the promised pause in the fighting, that's delayed too now. But who's going to benefit from this pause or maybe who might gain from it? What will it mean for this war? Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, 
Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As soon as Friday, the first of 50 women and children held hostage could very well be on their way to freedom. But smoke was still rising over Gaza today with strikes continuing until the promised pause goes into effect. The real question is who benefits from the pause? Here to help us walk through it all, CNN military analyst and retired Air Force Colonel Cedric Layton. Colonel, I'm so glad you're here. I've been wondering, obviously, while the diplomatic process is going forward in the negotiations, the military has not stopped their planning or strategizing. So who would benefit from a pause in all of the fighting? Laura, that's a great question because there are so many uh, factors here when you when you look at this. But what the Israelis are actually trying to do is gain as much territory as they possibly can. Uh, so this area of evacuation, this is where the Israelis told all the civilians to leave. Uh, well, this is also the area that Israel is trying to control right in in through this uh, this part of northern Gaza. Uh, so when you look at that, uh, you also see uh, the route down south, and with the pause, uh, the the Palestinians, specifically Hamas, they're actually benefiting from this because what they can do is they can bring their forces into all these different mm. areas. Uh, and so what the Israelis are doing right now before the pause is they're trying to soften up the territory. All of this action that you saw today, yeah. all of that is done in a way so that Israel can move its military forward or take advantage of certain tactical positions and move their forces into an area where they can possibly control the movement of the Hamas fighters. That's one of the big things that they're trying to do. And if they're successful, they can control the action once uh, the pause is in effect. One of the things we learned was that there was really radio silence at some point with Hamas, even with Qatar, trying to negotiate after the hostages, and that they were angry about what had happened at the Al-Shifa hospital, the damage that ensued. Walk us through a little bit about that damage and, and, and why there may have been that pause. Yeah, so this is this is actually quite interesting because the red dots right here, this red area, that's the damage that occurred from basically over the past month from October the 7th through the November okay. the 10th. The yellow area is the damage that has really occurred since uh, November the 10th. And what you're seeing here is damage that actually is uh, really concentrated on the areas that were forced to evacuate, also the populated areas. All of this is the most populated part of Gaza. So so of the 2.2 or so million people mm -hmm. in Gaza, about 1.7 million have gone down to these areas right here in order to escape all of this. So that is the main reason that they've done that. But as far as Al-Shifa is concerned, uh, the, the real uh, issue that they've had is really working through all of the different areas. The Al-Shifa hospital uh, is one of the areas right in here. Other hospitals are in this area as well. And notice they're right near where all these tunnels are as well. 
you know, we don't know right now where the hostages are, but when they're released, Red Cross will be able to see these hostages, might know where they've been kept, which strikes me as a very odd concession for Hamas to make, unless there's some tactical reason they would provide the information. Well, that's an interesting point because up until now, you're right, we have no idea where the hostages are. And even Hamas says that they don't know where all of them are because they're different groups. Uh, In addition to Hamas, there is the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, There are other Islamic groups that are part of this whole mix. Uh, There are other criminal groups that may possibly also be holding some hostages. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in the political realm as well as all of this. So when it comes to all of this, one of the key things that you have here is the fact that these tunnels are part of where possibly uh, many of the hostages have been held. And, you know, this gives you a bit of an idea of the narrow entrances. And then as this advances, you will see some of the different things uh, that these tunnels contain, uh, because these tunnels are part of the really the force protection methods that Hamas has used for their own forces. Plus, they've also been able to use the tunnels to not only store weapons, uh, possibly have a command uh, and control node in in these areas, uh, which won't look like an American command and control node, but still, it controls the forces, it moves them forward, moves them back, Mm. gives them all that kind of direction. But that's the kind of thing uh, that uh, Hamas is able to do uh, with these kinds of tunnels, with these kinds of installations, and it becomes really important uh, you know, they've got some pretty permanent stuff here, like bathrooms and, uh, you know, other areas where they can work. Uh, so it, it becomes a, something that is a little bit uh, different from what we would normally associate with. And this is the kind of thing uh, that uh, the Israeli forces have to go through in order to actually win this effort. Strikes me as tunnels for Hamas, none for the civilians at all. That's correct. No protection for them, even by those who are supposed to govern. Hedrick Layton, thank you so much. Really important to hear from you, Colonel. Jamie Foxx has been accused of sexual assault in a new lawsuit over an alleged incident back in 2015. What his accuser is saying happened next. Jamie Foxx is now facing sexual assault and battery charges in a lawsuit filed on Monday with the New York State Supreme Court. Now, the alleged incident occurred in a New York City restaurant back in 2015, according to a complaint obtained by CNN. CNN has reached out to Jamie Foxx's representatives as well as the plaintiff. Foxx is one of several celebrities facing accusations under New York's Adult Survivors Act, which allows adult survivors of sexual assault one year to file lawsuits against their alleged perpetrators, and it's set to expire on Friday. More than 2,500 lawsuits have been filed so far under the law. Let's talk about it with CNN Legal Analyst and criminal defense attorney, the great Joey Jackson. Joey, I'm happy to have your expertise here. You and I have talked about these cases, not these specific ones, but in general, delayed reporting cases and the notoriously difficulties that you have with the cases. Does this deadline happening uh, make you think there'll be the floodgates opening? Yeah, without question, Laura, good to be with you. So what New York did was they got a one-year look back. And so cases that would have otherwise been out based on the statute of limitations, New York and the legislature and the governor extended that. So now you can look at cases that would have been time-barred, and that's what they're doing. And so in essence, you have a form of relief for those who feel that they've been aggrieved in the past. It's not surprising. Those who may not have wanted to come forward for whatever reason at a prior time 
now have the ability to do so. The issue is how those cases are going to be proven moving forward, and will they be adequately addressed based upon the nature of the evidence when they get into a courtroom? As a defense attorney, does the 11th hour sort of reporting and this in the filing of the complaint, does that aid or undermine the credibility? How would you use it? You know, so I think credibility is always at issue, and I wouldn't really take credit or credibility for granted or anything else as it relates to late reporting. People have a variety of reasons why they may not want to come forward. I think the real issue is what is the evidence, right? And is that evidence stale? Will they be able to, that is the alleged victims, to have the goods to come forward? Was there a recent outcry to a friend, a family member, a relative? Are there texts or other things? Are there surveillance? So it always, I believe, in order to the benefit of the defense when you're late reporting, right? Because the issues of proof and the nature of the evidence may not be as fresh. And that could certainly detriment the plaintiffs, those that is the person suing. But we'll see if in the event that that happens. And then again, you know, for defendants, that's one of the reasons they are so angry at times for these cases, because they don't have the tools at times to be able to defend, they say, adequately against the charges against them because of the length of time since the actual allegations um, were purported to occur. Also, what's interesting in a case like this, the lawsuit with Jamie Foxx, is that the plaintiff is also suing the restaurant where the alleged incident occurred. Is that pretty unique in a case like this? I mean, meaning that a business has the duty as well to protect their customers? So I think, Laura, you know what it is? Everyone and anyone who possibly should or could be accountable should be embroiled in. And so it's not unique to the extent of, listen, if you have people on your premises, you want to ensure that those people are protected. You want to ensure that the parties around safeguard their interests. And to the extent that they're not, or to the extent that they're not hired adequately, negligent hiring, negligent supervision, and other type theories. And as you know, in any lawsuit, you want to embroil everyone and anyone uh, in order to buttress your claims. And so we'll see what the nature and the level of proof is. We live in a very right technological world. Is there any surveillance? Does it still exist? exist if there was? There'll be depositions, as you know, that is questioning of those parties who witnessed anything. And we'll see whether or not in Jamie Foxx's case or in the others, the right. litigants have the proof to establish their claims. That's always the issue. Yeah, he's not the only one this week where this has happened. In fact, last week we remember talking about Sean Combs in a case at the um, trying to get in, in under the wire as well. And there's so much more, I wonder, ahead that expires on Friday. Joey Jackson, in the meantime, have a happy Thanksgiving, friend. And you. Thanks, Laura. Well, controversial comments here at home over the Israel-Hamas war, leaving some people in hot water or worse. Is there a way to pull back or is the divide only deepening? We'll talk about it next. Hacks is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.
It's a Thanksgiving holiday with a lot of people on edge. Emotions are running high here at home, especially what's going on with the Israel-Hamas war. And while there are no credible threats, instances of alleged anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are on the rise. Take, for example, this former Obama-era national security official taunting a food cart vendor in New York. Because I actually know the guy who owns all these. Uh, I'm an American you know. citizen. Do you have You're it? American citizen? Yeah, do I have it? Now, how? How did you become an American citizen? It's not your business. Go. No, you're right. I born here. But you're a terrorist. You support terrorism. Listen, go. I'm not support something. You do. You support terrorism. I'm not some. Go. I'm just working here. You're a terrible person. You kill children, not me. What? Go. My kids? What about my kids? You kill children, not me. Go. I didn't kill children. Okay, well, I see you here. You know why? If we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids, you know what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Go. The former official, Stuart Seldowitz, has now been arrested by the NYPD and charged with a hate crime. He earlier apologized, saying he regrets the whole thing happened. Then there's Susan Sarandon, dropped by her talent agency after saying that th this at a pro-Palestinian rally. There are a lot of people that are afraid, afraid of being Jewish at this time and are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country, so often uh, subjected to violence. But it's not just words putting us on edge, it's actions too. A woman in New York has now been arrested on a hate crime charge after allegedly attacking a man and his son wearing a Palestinian scarf. And the NYPD is investigating after the front of the synagogue was vandalized with anti-Semitic graffiti. I want to bring in now senior national security analyst, Juliet Kayam, and journalist and former Fox News host, Geraldo Rivera. I'm, I'm glad to have both of you here. I mean, all of these instances are, are distinct, and yet there is some connective tissue. And we know that, and there are trenches of what's happening right now with Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. Let me ask you first, um, Juliet, the tension is high. It's actually very palpable for so many people. And it seems that with the rising tension, people are doubling down. It concerns me. Right. It should. And I, I think part of it is that the language of annihilation being used uh, both by uh, people who uh, are criticizing Israel and then people who are criticizing Hamas um, is perceived by either Israelis or Palestinians as one of which, you know, the, the other wants to get rid of us. And I've been writing about this. What's different about this language is this is this language of essentially we can get rid of you, right? Whether Hamas does it, a uh, terror attack against Israel, or I have to admit some of the very... Um, indiscriminate language being used by senior members of the Netanyahu cabinet that make it sound like if you're listening, you know, like basically not enough Palestinians can be dead. And I think mm. that's then that's then amplified here in the United States. Not that it's organized. It's just people then believe that that's an acceptable way to talk. And uh, look, the Palestinians aren't going away. The Israelis are not going away. Someone, you know, we need to figure out a solution that's not going to kill everyone. And I think we here in the United States have the luxury of trying to assist in that transition uh, uh, rather than amplify it in a country uh, that has benefited from its own diversity. Let me ask you, Geraldo, on this, because there is a difference between seeing something illegal and people making statements that are controversial. 
Uh, and yet there are consequences, as we all know, for speech in this country, although that's attention people have. The consequences might not be criminal action, but there are sometimes to one's career, one's legacy, um, what happens in their homes and beyond. What should the consequences, if any, be? Well, the guy who said uh, 4,000 Palestinian children dead was not enough uh, clearly is guilty, in my view, of a hate crime. Uh, those who are offended by Susan Sarandon, on the other hand, uh, I think are overreacting. Now, I, have, I hesitate to add that uh, Jewish people have a right to overreact since October 7th was the bloodiest day uh, in terms of the Jewish uh, people uh, since the Holocaust. Uh, you know, babies uh, mutilated and, and, and so on and, and so forth. Uh, but Susan Sarandon is one thing. I mean, you can overreact to Susan Sarandon, who's been kind of a peacenik, hard left in a, in a business that is so far left. She's the leftist most of all of them. But you shouldn't be surprised she voted for Ralph Nader and, and campaigned for him in 2000. Uh, after 9-11, she opposed the interventions in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, at a cop funeral uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, she said the cops gathered at the funeral were fascists. Uh, so she sometimes goes off the deep end. But that, in my view, is protected speech. She is uh, maybe obnoxious, but she's a great actress. Uh, I, I think that people should not be canceled for what they say. But when someone goes uh, to a Muslim man and points in his face and says 4,000 dead Palestinian children, not enough. I mean, that's a sick dude who deserves a kick in the butt, Laura. I mean, Juliet, that man was working. It was at his place of employment to have somebody approach him in that way. Yeah. I don't know what happened before or after. Frankly, the words alone make me not wanting to know what happened before. The consequences should very well um, be apparent when someone does that. But we're hearing a lot of this speech, not just on the video or at a rally. A lot of it happens on social media platforms, the benefit of anonymity, the benefit of things being amplified in ways and going yeah. viral in echo chambers. That contributes to a concern about what could come next. That's exactly right. This is, I mean, this is how radicalization uh, happens. And then that's a small sliver of that be, then becomes violent extremism. And the, the, the emphasis is on violence, right? Radical people, extreme people, you, you really can't do that much about it. It is that, it's that, uh, the, that group that is going to turn to violence. And the larger that pool is, right, the more amplification is, the more they have a sense that they're in a community, that they're not really lone wolves, that this is acceptable uh, uh, behavior, the more then it is uh, likely that at least one yeah. of them will turn to violence. This is what we've seen throughout in terms of white supremacy. Um, and we know that tone and language of, of people in leadership matters. It matters if a senator, you know, talks the same way as that guy we saw on the street. It matters if if uh, if a Palestinian congresswoman uh, uses language that's going to be perceived as um, as as the language of annihilation for uh, for Jewish Americans. And so it's it's sort of incumbent yeah. on those of us who are <clears throat> speaking is, is is both to not speak in that language and secondly not to amplify it. So social sure. media, we know how not to amplify it. Do not respond to it. I, I, it shocks me that people still do this. Well, let me get you in here, Geraldo, because I wonder with what was going on diplomatically in, um, with Israel and Hamas, I wonder if the tone yeah. and the tenor of our conversations here in the United States will mirror the diplomacy that might be happening there, at least with the negotiations. Or are we in our own, our own space now? I, don't, I just want to just very briefly say, for the first time in my 80 years, 
you know, people, this is an existential threat. Many Jewish people are perceiving this as really a threat uh, to their very existence, uh, kids going to college and, and, and so forth. Uh, now, in terms of what's going on in Israel, that is absolutely heartbreaking. These kinds of negotiations are so fragile. It just seems to me I'm very worried that this is not uh, that they're wallpapering over uh, a real uh, uh, problem with these negotiations. Our, our expectations, our hopes, our aspirations for the women and children, for goodness sakes, being freed, uh, you know, raised to a pitch where uh, all the anchors have gathered in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem waiting for this joyous occasion, uh, the 50 women and children being released. Now uh, that has been delayed at least 24 hours, 48 hours. I just hope that it just doesn't keep slipping. Uh, yeah. It is a, a, a damnable problem. I don't know how they're going to f- figure out how to uh, find the way out of this. This is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, these, this, every scenario is grim and pessimistic, Laura. It's unimaginable what's happening, but hopefully there is hope on the horizon for those families. Thank you both, Juliet Kayam and Geraldo mm-hmm. Rivera. We'll be right back. In just a few hours, the biggest parade of the entire year kicks off in New York City. It's the 97th annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It'll be led by a marching band from an Alabama HBCU. Alabama A&M's University Marching Maroon and White Band. I want to bring in the director of the Alabama A&M Marching Band, Carlton Wright, also the trombone section leader, senior Branielle Jones, and saxophone section leader, senior Harrison Hendricks. I'm so glad that all of you are here with me tonight. First of all, congratulations. What a major thing to be involved in. Carlton, begin by telling me the story. I want to know how you nabbed this very special spot for such a beloved American tradition where really the whole world might be watching. Okay, well, first of all, thank you, Laura, for uh, bringing us on. And I must say that I'm a fan. I watch you every night and I enjoy your show, your reporting and everything like that. So thank Thank you once again. Um, You're very welcome. Um, It was two years ago in 2021, um, I was sitting down watching the Macy's Day the uh, Thanksgiving parade and uh, my alma mater from grad school, Hampton University was in the parade as well as the University of Alabama. So after those two groups finished their performances, I decided to pull out my laptop and go to Mason's website and see what it would take for us to apply. And luckily the application was right there and it was live. So I just started filling in some things and over a period of a month, uh, maybe five, six weeks or so, it took me that long to get all of the entries into the application and uh, send it off. So I waited nervously until we heard back from them. I think it was like early March or late um, February in 2022 when we got wow. the news that we were selected. So that, that was the whole process is watching the parade. And the idea came to my head to, to try it out. I love the idea of why not us, because you knew how talented your group of students are. So why not them? And to have the foresight to say, let's try. I love it. Branielle, I mean, I hear you're going to be rehearsing in the middle of the night before the parade. Look, I don't have the talent you do. I keep very late hours. But to do what you are about to do tomorrow is truly incredible. You are a section leader. How are you going to get your section ready for this moment? Um, honestly, I think we're already ready. We've been ready for so long. Um, this season has been so long. This is just like a highly anticipated moment. So 
we just talked about it earlier and we just said we ready like it's I think it's gonna be hard for us to go to sleep rather than waking <laughs> up like we're just so jittery excited we know we're performing for literally millions of people and I'm just I just have no words like I'm just speechless we just jittery right now we just excited we, we we're ready I'm so excited for you because I would be thrilled. I'm not sure I'd get any sleep either. And they say you stay ready. Maybe you have to actually get ready. And what I hear about your marching band, you guys are already ready. And you're going to have such a, f- a phenomenal performance. I just know it. Harrison, let me ask you this. Because, Harrison, what is it like to repping a HBCU at a national event like this in particular? It's an honor to represent at HBCU at the Mason Day Parade just because everything that we've come through over the years being in this country. So to be able to have an HBCU band as the leading band in the parade is definitely an honor because the founder of our school was a slave. So this is his wildest dream come true to see students of his university performing on this large stage. It's a really important point, and it's a truly an honor to watch you all perform. Is anyone going to give me, Carlton, right now a little bit of a preview of what we're going to see, or you keep it under wraps? Well, <clears throat> well, just a little bit. We are going to do, um, a, a, I guess we can call it a hip-hop version of uh, the Nutcracker, and mm. it will feature... A little twist. Yeah, a little twist, twist to it. And it will feature... <clears throat> um, Pretty much one of our halftime routines, but um, Harrison is actually on the dance routine committee, and uh, he helped to create uh, the choreographer for this. So uh, it's going to be like an HBCU flavor uh, halftime performance. I think everybody's going to enjoy it. I can't wait. I mean, who's joining you? I hear some big names might be with you as well. Raniel? Uh Actually, actually uh, John Batiste. Uh, we're doing a spread with him. Um, I, I guess it would kick off the actual parade and, uh, you know, before the cameras rolled to uh, start the actual Mason's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, we'll do a small piece with him. And last night's rehearsal was so energized and so positive. So uh, we can't wait to get out there in the morning and, and rehearse with him and, and then ultimately do the entire performance. Wow. Carlton, Brangell, Harrison, you are about to enter into history, the 97th Parade. I cannot wait to watch with my family and support you and cheer you on the way. Thank you so much. Good luck. And what is the saying? Blessed be thy name. Long live thy fame. Right. I guess I'll see you tomorrow, won't we? Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Thank Thank you. Appreciate it. Go Bulldogs. Hey, thank you for watching. Our live coverage continues in just a moment. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.